good morning, John. How are you? Not bad, not bad. How are you, Dave? All right. Well, I'm Dave Zimmer with Center of the American Experiment, and I'm joined with John Phelan. Yeah, I'm an economist at Center of the American Experiment. Dave is our uh, public safety policy fellow. As you can see, uh, we haven't got uh, any of the chiefs today. It's just us. Um, so we're kind of winging this a little bit. Um, so we'll see how we go. Uh, this is like American experiment below decks, I suppose. You know, lunatics taking over the asylum. So there you go. Uh, what do you want to What do you want to talk about, Dave? Well, on the public safety forefront, I guess uh, as we near the end of the year, I thought it would be good to just talk about some of the the narratives out there that have been attempting to uh, suggest that crime is on a decrease and that hey, all of the progressive policies that have been talked about and put in place recently are now showing some some effect and uh you know in in the end we're it's it's all roses um and i want to kind of blow apart that narrative a bit uh, uh while it is true that if you just take a look at some of the data the statewide data for example crime in general is trending down in minnesota and it's trending down nationwide but if you look at the urban areas, and certainly in Hennepin County uh, here in Minnesota, um, that just is not taking place. Um, some experts, some people in the media, some uh, public figures will cherry pick a few crimes, maybe carjacking or murder, um, and say, look, uh, these, these things are trending down, we're over the hump. Um, but in reality, it's just not the case. And of course, as you know, you can't cherry pick data and, and really make a, um, an authentic um, evaluation of how things are going. So I've been taking a look at Hennepin County's um, stats uh, recently, and it's pretty dramatic that where, when you pull Hennepin County out of the state of Minnesota, the state is really doing well. Uh, and then when you compare it to how Hennepin's doing, Hennepin is actually not, you know, not getting better. It's slightly mm. getting worse. And what I've, I look at it as a, um, like a performance measure. Are they underperforming or overperforming? And Hennepin is, you know, dramatically underperforming to the tune of about nearly 20% on person crimes underperforming the state's recovery and over 30% for uh, property crimes. Uh, Isn't it also the case that a lot of this discussion about, uh, you know, declines in crime rates is declines relative to some peak? Um, that if you compare us to, you know, pre-2020 or something like pre-COVID, we're still kind of ever elevated above that. Oh, definitely. Um, if, if you compare 2023 to, say, 2018 or something like that, uh, it's it's pretty ugly still, mm. um, but certainly we are uh, as a state again seeing some trend down from the the peak of 2020 and 2021. It's the same thing. Uh, they had the Census Bureau numbers uh, for migration came out this week, and it was a similar story there actually, because what you saw was uh, we so our net, we lost residents to other parts of the United States again. Um, but the loss was well down. It was about four. It was a bit less than five thousand people um, that we lost on net, and this is way way down from something like twenty eight thousand that we lost in a previous year. 
but it's almost like you know that and so people think that's a, that's a, a kind of great thing you know well we've you know we've come way down from this peak um but our net loss of people still is worse than in 34 other states in america for 2022 to 2023 um so you know to say we've we've done better than a than a, a kind of peak of badness is not necessarily a great thing I think what you see, you know, perhaps with migration and crime, it's a similar thing. COVID kind of came along and flipped the table, you know, scrambled yeah. everything up. And things settle a bit after that, but they don't necessarily settle back to the levels they were. It always makes you think of, you know, kind of levels of government spending over the 20th century. You see they kind of chug up and then wars happen, you know, World War One, it goes way up and it comes back down, but it doesn't go back to what it was before. And then World War Two happens, it goes way up and it comes back down, but it doesn't go back to what it was before. It's what they used to call the ratchet effect. Yep. Um, so you kind of see something like that, you know. So I think when people say we're way down from this peak, it's that's not the appropriate thing to look at. Talking about migration, I caught a bit of your piece this week where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you pointed out that we've actually continued to lose people to other states, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, while maybe our overall migration numbers went up slightly, but we lost you know, yeah. state residents to other states. So on net, yeah, we lost like 5,000 people, a bit less than 5,000 people to, uh, to other parts of the United States. Okay. Uh, over the last year, but that was more than offset by the number of people who arrived from other countries. So net international migration ran at something like 14,000. So we, if you add the two together, we have a positive number. Um, one thing about that, I mean, the, it, it, if people come here and they're skilled and they're employed, and that's fantastic, and that will boost uh, economic well-being per capita, and I've written about this before. Um, so it's really just a question of, is that happening? But there's another question beyond that. There's research that shows that once migrants arrive in the state, they are just as likely to move as anybody else. You know, so they move, so they move to they move to Minnesota, but then you know they decide, well, we want to move to Texas or Florida. So they tend to go where economic opportunities are greater, where job creation is greater, where housing is cheaper. Um, you know, they're not so different to your average American that they don't move for the same reasons as the average American to the same places as the average American. So, you know, it, it's, it's something we have, to, we have to kind of be careful of there. Um, also, there's the things, you know, there, there are things policy can control and things policy can't control. So when people look at reasons for migration and they talk about the weather, or you know, people move from Minnesota because of the weather, well, South Dakota has people come in. South Dakota gained residents last year, the year before. And the weather's no better in South Dakota. You know, we lose residents in Minnesota to South Dakota. And if these people are moving for the weather, then they're, you know, they, they're in for a rude shock. Right. Um, you know, so you, there are things like that that policy can't control. Policy can't control the weather. If that's a push factor, you need to have something else that's a pull factor that pulls people in. Um, and there you have to look at the things that policy can control. Crime is a factor of that. You know, things like, are the schools good? Um, is job creation good? Is housing affordable? And we kind of, things like childcare, and we kind of suffer on a lot of those. Like, we, we kind of suck on a lot of those measures. Housing is kind of expensive in the Twin Cities for a, a non-coastal area. Uh, childcare is relatively expensive in Minnesota. Our job creation isn't great. Um, so all these things that policy can control, we don't do well on. And when you think that we don't do that well on things like the weather, you know, it's no surprise that we kind of lose people. Mm -hmm. So how is the metro uh, faring in terms of population? 
Well, it's an interesting one, this. Uh, the data for the county level isn't out yet for the most recent year, but what you did see for the most recent year for which it is available, which is 21 into 22, is that Minnesota, for the first time in a, in a very long time, saw the rate of population growth in the metro areas lower than in the non-metro areas. Okay. Um, and what you're seeing is people kind of moving out of metro areas to these non-metro areas. Now, this is kind of fascinating because it reverses the trend. Is it going to continue? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. But there's new research out. Um, it's in one of the American Economic Association journals about working from home. And, you know, this is, it, it's turned out to be a bit stickier than people think as a phenomena. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you can work, I mean, if you if you have to live in the in the urban core in the Twin Cities for your job, uh, you know, that's one thing. But if you can do the same job and live somewhere way cheaper, you know, where the housing is a lot more affordable, then you will do that. And particularly if there are factors like crime, you know, and and, I, and one thing I'd say about crime as well, and you talk about the crime figures, um, the, the, there's an awful lot of kind of antisocial behaviour that doesn't quite rise to the level of crime. So, you know, I've seen people, you know, use uh, the light rail stops in the Twin Cities as kind of open-air toilets. Mm. Um, That's not pleasant. Um, I've seen people use the doorways of stores on Nicolette Mall as open-air toilets. That's not pleasant. And the last time I rode the bus, actually, they've got a little thing up on the thing uh, that shows you things you can't do on the bus. And one of the things you can't do on the bus is ride without a fare. Another thing you can't do on the bus is play your music without headphones. And another one you can't do on the bus is go to the toilet. So we, we, we now have to tell people that that's a thing you can't do. Right. Because apparently it's, it's so widespread and so common now that that happens. Um, now, someone, you know, doing their business on the toilet is a crime. Yeah, it's a crime. But there's a lot of behavior like that that's just un- – and it pushes people away. So I know, uh, you know, a friend of my wife, she, worked, she used to work downtown Minneapolis, and she would get the bus to uh, the bottom of uh, um, Nicola, uh, Hennepin Avenue sorry, and walk up. And she stopped doing it because you couldn't walk any, up that road anymore without a group of people harassing you, catcalling right. you, following you up the street. So she just works from home now uh, four days a week, and she goes into the office as little as she can. Right. And then that cycle just continues less legitimate people downtown or less legitimate people in any area it just amplifies the antisocial people that are in that area and it it's just an ugly cycle i agree with you the antisocial uh activity um you know borderline crime activity is a big factor i also think something that isn't being talked about a whole lot is the randomness of crime Hmm. um Years ago, we've talked about it many times. We've written about it many times here at the center. Our crime rates were actually higher in the 70s uh, per capita for certain violent crime. However, uh, back then and, and up through just the most recent crime spike here in the 2020s, if you were in Minnesota or visiting downtown Minneapolis, it was relatively easy to avoid being a crime victim. Mm. You know, you just, you, you avoid the places you know you, you need to avoid. You stay out of areas at certain times of the day, that type of thing. You could you could avoid being a crime victim. And that seems to have been lost in this, in, I call it the most recent crime spike here, where just normal everyday people going to cub and 
you know, parking in a cub mm. parking lot and coming out with groceries are getting carjacked. Uh, there's a elderly woman in Golden Valley watering her lawn this this summer with her garage door open and a carload of juveniles pulled up and assaulted her, broke her arm, trying to steal her car out mm. of her garage. Uh, we we heard about the family coming back from a grocery store in Minnetonka getting carjacked. It, the uh, within the last year and a half, a, a man walking a family member across the Stone Arch Bridge after a wedding celebration shot in the head. Um, there was oh, the guy on one sixty nine as well driving home from yes, a baseball from a match. baseball or yeah, football yeah. game, right? It, the randomness of the violent crime is something that I think is just finally people are starting to recognize that as a, as a real thing. That's, uh, a, that's a really key factor. I, I live most of my life in, in north and east London, um, you know, not, not the garden spots of the city. And so, I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of I know urban living, you know. Um, and one thing that strikes me is when I lived in east London, I lived in an area where there was a lot of knife crime. And um, people would say to me, you know, um, aren't you aren't you scared? Aren't you worried? And I would say, honestly, no, I'm not, you know, because, uh, you know, middle aged white guys like me uh, are not the victims of crime like this. It is concentrated. You know, it's people doing things to each other. Postcode gangs is the thing right, in London. Right. right? Um, and so I didn't I, I, I could walk down a street where there were a lot of stabbings and I'd be OK. Um, and so. The ex my, my lived experience, as they say, was very, very different to what the statistics would tell you. And I think it's possibly the same here. You know, that there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of kind of statistical areas, you know, county or whatever, uh, you know, Hennepin County, for example, where there are some very, very bad areas and they push the statistics way up. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people living it, like, well, it's fine by me. You know, here I am in, you know, wherever, Wayzata or somewhere. Right. Which, and, and I'm kind of all right. Yeah, if ways that as in in Hennepin County, it, it might is. not be. Yeah. Well, it is. Well, there you go. Um, you know, so um, you can tell I'm from the from the east side yeah. of the city, can't you? <laughs> but um, but you know, so so you, you, again, your lived experience. You might look at this and think, oh, it's all just nonsense. You know, it's just panic and all the rest of it. But it's not. Right. You know, if you go to particular areas, it, it's a very real thing. Um, and eventually, it, it does spill and it does kind of move out. But yeah, it's. Um, I've found it interesting that. Um, you can really tie back virtually any uh, progress on crime. There, there is a drop in carjackings, even in Hennepin County over recent years and in Minneapolis. <clears throat> and you can tie back the progress made in those crimes to specific enforcement efforts. Um, and, you know, I want to give some some props to our U.S. attorney, uh, Andrew Luger, who happens to be appointed by uh, two different Democrat presidents. But he's, you know, a lot of people think, well, we, we, we just tout Republican policies and such. Here's a policy from a Democrat uh, appointed U.S. attorney to go after carjackers mm -hmm. and hold them accountable. That is that is working. So, um, you know, he made an announcement, it was over a year ago, it was the last summer sometime, where he said, we, I will prosecute all adult uh, carjacking offenders uh, in the state here. And of course, he hasn't taken all of them, but he has 
aggressively or the U.S. Attorney's Office has aggressively prosecuted carjackers in Minnesota for over a year. And that that gets out there on the street uh, yeah. when, when offenders hear that, hey, the feds are after this now. Um, you know, this is not just uh, the, the Hennepin County attorney and the, you know, the juvenile office and the Hennepin County attorney's office isn't going to deal with you on this. It's the U.S. attorney. You're going to federal prison where you do 80% of your time instead of 50 to 60% of your time in state court. That gets out there and that word gets out and really has a an effect on, uh, on crime. And so I just want to uh, pay notice to that, that the progress that we've seen in Minnesota, um, and it's only, it's been slight, but any progress has really been the result of proactive, high visibility, and aggressive law enforcement. Mm. And uh, it, it counters the, the push by the left uh, of, of so many social justice policies that, that, that they're trying to say are having an effect on things. There's, there's no you can't show any effect at this point yeah. uh, to any of those um, policies. Yeah, it's, I, I, I might be a bit more kind of cynical than you uh, on some of this. So I, I remember, you know, when they had a, there was a, a shooting in a bar on West 7th over in St. Paul. And I think um, somebody was killed. And suddenly, you know, you had people, Amy Klobuchar, the governor, Melvin Carter, tweeting about this awful scourge of gun crime. Right. Um, well, of course they were tweeting about this awful scourge of gun crime. It's because suddenly it was happening in a bar that swing voters from the suburbs go in before wild yeah. games and before country music concerts at the XL. Um, there had never been any of this outrage for all the people shot on the north side of Minneapolis. Right. Um, and also the same people who tell you, you know, that we need more gun laws and you know, they won't enforce the gun laws they have. Exactly. Um, so, you know, try enforcing those and then see where you, then see where you are. It's a point I've tried to make ad nauseum. Is, yeah. uh, with it, it's not a matter of passing new laws. Let's enforce the laws we have on the books. And if, if we're going to be serious about gun violence, then let's be serious about it. Mm. There was a case just a month ago, um, the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, Mary Moriarty, uh, dropped charges against a violent a, a criminal with a, a violent history, assaults, and I think some sex assaults, who had been stopped this summer uh, for a headlight out in mm. Minneapolis, charged appropriately at the time, uh, charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm. Um they ended up, the county attorney's office ended up uh, dropping the charge. And the reason was that the Minneapolis police had entered into an agreement with on these consent, uh, c consent decrees that in the future they won't make traffic stops for equipment violations and technical violations. And so because in the future they won't make those stops, we're going to say that yeah. in the interest of justice, this stop this past summer just wasn't right, and uh, we're going to mm. drop the charges. So that's a long way of saying uh, they don't seem to be really serious about gun crimes. When you have a violent offender arrested in possession with a gun, mm. and you find a reason to drop that charge. And, and words words I would probably rarely say, in defense of Mary Moriarty, she didn't 
lie about any of this during no. the election. She told people exactly what she was going to do. She told people exactly what she believed, and she was elected fair and square. So the the citizens of Hennepin County have got what they want, got what they voted for. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, we, I, uh, and and many in the media actually pointed that out that mm. this is what will happen if uh, if Hennepin County decides to elect a. Uh, progressive prosecutor there were there was a roadmap out there the yeah. chessa bodine in in uh, san francisco and uh uh elvin bragg in manhattan mm. the, there's just throughout the the country there's been this movement of installing progressive prosecutors into that role many with a defense background and it just totally upsets the the balance uh, our justice balance because mm. our system is built off of an uh, adversarial system where both sides are equally fighting just as hard for yeah. their clients and when you have a prosecutor that now is making arguments that are more like a defense you know a defense attorney that just completely undermines our justice system I think there's a there's a temptation sometimes in in Minnesota um, to look at some of the stuff that happens in the cities and think, oh well, you know, let them go, you know, if that's what they want, that's what they want. But there was a case a while ago, and I think you read about this on the website, an awful case. So I will skimp on the uh, on describing the details. But a, a young girl uh, was kidnapped and kind of beaten and abused fairly badly. This is in the north of the state. Okay. Um, and when the police arrived, there was there were eleven illegal immigrants in the house. They busted one guy, and I think this guy was. When you look at his history, he should have been in jail in Hennepin County. Um, and you know so. If they're just kind of spinning through the through the revolving door in Hennepin County, you can live up in Perham or somewhere or Brainerd or Bemidji and think, well, kind of craziness in the cities. But eventually these people jump in a car and come up to you. Um, so you, we, we can't, I mean, at one level you like local autonomy, but to go back to the point about the federal prosecutor, it's almost like some of these places have to be put under special measures, you know, um, and be governed from the outside because they're kind of dysfunctional themselves. Uh, and you know the the effects do spill over from from these places. I know we've talked about it, and I think you mentioned it earlier in our conversation today. That it reminds me of the the ratchet effect, mm. where um, you know when you allow things in a, in a metro area to ratchet a little bit more to the left, you, you know that eventually it's never going back. You know, you, you the ratchet doesn't turn back; mm. it just keeps clicking more and more progressive. That's going to spill out into the state eventually, you know that, yeah. that progressive, uh, that progressive ratcheting will spill out into the in, the, the effects of it. Will. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, we uh, do you want to make the announcement? Of, we have a, a a pretty important speaker that we've secured for our uh, yeah we do um, briefing. Yeah, we, so we've got our annual dinner um, next year. I can't remember exactly when it is. Um, it's uh, April or it's June, I think. It's the an, I remember it's the anniversary of D-Day, June 6th. That's, that's it. Um, and the speaker we've got is Naftali Bennett, who's a, a leading Israeli politician. Um, so that's kind of a very apt, you know, very appropriate for the time. Um, so that'll be a fascinating event, I'm sure. That's going to be in Minneapolis. So, you know, watch out. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's going to be pretty cool. It'll be a good night. Mm-hmm. 
I think we'll, we'll, we'll probably wrap up about there. Um, the only other things to say are, you know, my wife's a hockey fan. Uh, the Minnesota Wild are on a kind of tear at the moment. So, uh, But you're not a hockey fan yourself, are you? I am, a, uh, unfortunately, a Viking fan. Uh, seven and seven Viking fans. So. How do you see them going? I'm always optimistic. I'm. Uh, you have to be. I you? remain optimistic that they're going to get into the playoffs. Uh, but <laughs> the way the way things have been going, um, I could see a one and out in the playoffs again. Unfortunately. Yeah. Bring back Case Keenum. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> End on that note. Um, well, I would say thanks very much, Dave. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, happy Christmas and uh, New Year from everybody at the center. Um, we really couldn't do what we do without you. So um, thank you, all of you. It's been a big year. Um, I think there's probably going to be a list of things we've actually accomplished this year going up on the website, our wins. Um, even in a tough environment like we face, uh, we've managed to achieve some things this year. Um, so never give up hope. Um, you know, keep going. And uh, we'll see you all in the new year. Thank you very much. Great message.